this morning. And as you turn over there, let me just say that I'm thankful to be back. I preached for Brother Joe back during the summer. I believe Brother Joe and his family went on vacation late July, early August, somewhere through there. And, and I came and preached uh, one of those that Sunday for him. So I am glad to be here. I hate us under these circumstances. Anytime uh, a pastor goes to a new work. It's always a sad time within the church. Uh, exciting for the pastor. Sad for the pastor. Uh, I've been in those positions where you hate to leave the people you love, but you're excited about what God's calling you to. And I know that churches experience that as well. They're sad to see the pastor go, but they're also excited to see what the Lord is going to do, what fresh new work the Lord is going to do within that congregation. So I pray for you, and I pray that God will make that search quick and easy, okay? 
uh, that he'll make it straight, he'll make that path wide, and that you'll be able to follow that very quickly to the man God has called to be your pastor, to be your next pastor. Let me just remind you that uh, I, I teach at Blue Mountain College, so I bring greetings to you from Blue Mountain College, and I know that, that you know Dr. Ronald Meeks here because uh, he was a youth pastor here a long time ago. A long time ago. Uh, I guess maybe in the 80s sometime, uh, early 80s, something like that. So uh, I know he was a youth pastor, and of course he still lives here in Alcorn County and, and is a member at First Baptist Corinth. Uh, so let me just say this. I know today is the first day of the year. Can you believe that today is 2023? That's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, it just seems like we were celebrating 2022 just yesterday. I mean, that's how quickly my years go. And, you know, I've always heard people say, well, they, they keep going and they get even quicker as the older you get. Well, my year is getting pretty quick right now. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like as soon as you blink, there's another one. So let me just remind you, if no one has told you today, eat your greens, eat your black-eyed peas and hog jaw, Eat cornbread and don't eat any chicken. <laughs> but you, you want your health, your wealth, your gold, and if you eat chicken, you'll be scratching for money all year long. So, uh, so my mom, my mom, uh, she texts me first thing this morning, and she sent me a text and said, "Eat your greens, uh, eat some black-eyed peas and hog jowl," and she said. And whatever you do, do not eat any chicken today. <laughs> and so that's, that's one that she's always told me. A lot of people have never heard that before, but she says it every year to me. When I say that a person is generous, who do you think about? Probably in our minds, when I say something like the word generous, and who do you associate with generous, you probably have somebody who comes to your mind. Maybe it's someone you know personally or someone you've heard about. Maybe it's some philanthropist that you have heard about within our, your own county, within our state, within our world that makes you think about a generous person. Now, I know some of you here, probably, your mind works a little bit differently. And when I said generous, you thought of a person who was not generous. You probably thought of a person who was stingy. Maybe you thought, which is coming out of Christmas, maybe you thought about Ebenezer Scrooge, the antithesis of a generous person, a greedy person. <coughs> when I say the word generous, who is it that you think about? When this passage from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, I want you to think about God being the most generous person person that you know. The title of the message is God's generosity, and when we think about a person, someone who is generous, then we should naturally think about God. Our, our mind should gravitate to the person of God because he is the most generous. His generosity knows no end. His generosity is 
given freely to all. His generosity flows from his love and his goodness. I mean, when you think about the goodness of God and all he has done for us, the gener his generosity flows from that. The psalmist said, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is generous. And uh, this morning, when we look at this passage, I want us to see that God is generous. Now, I'm a teacher, so let me just remind you, Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm looking, we're going to read all of verses 1 through 14, but specifically verses 3 through 14 is the second longest sentence in the New Testament. Now, I'm sure you're probably going to look at it and say, well, preacher, look, I see a period right after verse I see a couple of periods in 3 through 14. And I would, I would say, yes, you do see periods in your English translation. But in the original language of the New Testament, which was Greek, the Greek 3 through 14 is all one sentence. Over 200 words in one sentence. Our English translations, every one of them. It doesn't matter if you have a New American Standard or a New King James or a King James or an ESV, whatever it may be, every one of them breaks it down into at least three sentences, but it is all one sentence. So what does that tell us? It tells us that that one long sentence all has one thing as its subject. And so when I read through this passage, see if you can pick out what that subject is when we begin reading 3 through 14 to see what the main point of 3 through 14 is. So let's begin reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who were in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, 
after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Did you catch what the main point was? It's right in verse 3. It's the very beginning of it. And he begins it, he says, Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the main point. That is the main thing. What he's actually doing is he's pronouncing this blessing over God, or he is pronouncing in our terminology today and in our way of thinking it, we would say it more like this. He is thanking God for what God has done in his life. Now, we don't typically go through and bless people. We don't walk up to somebody and put our hand on their forehead and say, bless you, child. Or we don't walk by somebody in the hospital and say, and pronounce some blessing over their life. I'm sure you weren't up this morning at 12.01, blessing, pronouncing a blessing over your family. Maybe you prayed, but you didn't pronounce some type of blessing. But what Paul is doing here in verse 3 is he is actually thanking God in his own culture, in his own way. He is thanking God for the blessings that he has provided for him. And when we look at this passage, we must see that God has been so generous to Paul. He has been generous to those early Christians, and he has been generous to all of us in this room. So the question that I ask of this passage this morning, why is Paul blessing God? Or why is Paul thanking God in this passage? And what I want you to see from this is God demonstrated his love and God demonstrated his goodness by sending his son and his spirit. So by the end of this sermon, what I would really hope is that you look at this passage, you see that all that God has done for you. You see that all, what all God has provided for you, and you thank God for what he's done. I mean, I don't see any better time of year than to do this. It's just been six weeks ago, six weeks ago that we celebrated Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving is a holiday that was designed for the purpose of giving thanks to God. Just last week, on this day, last week, seven days ago, we celebrated Christmas, where God sent His Son, Jesus, to this world to live as a man and to eventually die a death so that we could have the forgiveness of our sins. So in this time of year, even when we're looking at the New Year's, we're thinking back over 2022, we're looking ahead to 2023 and all the hope and expectation of 2023, we should stop for a moment and we should thank God for what he's done in our life. So why has Paul thanked God from this passage? First, God provides his spiritual blessings. God provides his spiritual blessings. Look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
Paul proclaims here at the very beginning that it is God. God is the one who has provided all spiritual blessings to the believer. God is the source of all blessings because God is good. He is the ultimate good. The word that theologians use to describe that is omnibenevolent. It basically means this, all good. You've heard of omnipotent, right? You know, We all know that God is omnipotent. It means he has all power. We know that God is omniscient, that he has all knowledge, but he is also omnibenevolent in the sense that he is all good. Everything that he does is for the purpose of good because God cannot do any evil, right? And so because he cannot do any evil, everything that he does must be good. And so when he gives us these spiritual blessings, he is doing something in our life. He is showing us that he is a good God. He is morally upright and he is good. His generosity flows from that goodness. And he provides for us. Paul said that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I just want you to think about that for a moment. Every good gift comes from God, right? Would you agree with that? I hope you would agree with it because it's actually a passage from the book of James, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, comes from above, from the Father of lights. James, in the New Testament, tells us that every good and perfect gift actually comes from God. So you can look at the things in your life, and you can say, well, that is good. That has brought me to a place where I know more about God. Well, that's from God. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. And he says, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So what are the spiritual blessings here in this passage that Paul writes about? Let me ask you this. What does the word spiritual mean in this context? The word spiritual in this context doesn't really mean the type of blessing. Sometimes people look at that and they say, well, every spiritual blessing is the type of blessing. And they will try to segment spiritual blessings to physical blessings. But this spiritual blessing here and the way he's using it in the passage is actually the source of that blessing. So where do these blessings come from? These are spiritual blessings. They are spiritual blessings and they're not quantifiable like the physical blessings. So physical blessings are something that we could count, right? Physical blessings are, are the things, the material things that we have in our life. Physical blessings could be the health that a person has or the lack of health in some cases. So physical blessings are different. They're quantifiable where spiritual blessings are are not quantifiable in that sense. And so Paul is thanking God here at the very beginning. He says, blessed be the God and Father who has gifted us, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These spiritual blessings are something that God's going to do. Is it something that God's going to do? Or is it something that God does? 
Let's, let's look back at the passage. Look, at, look again at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bless us. Does your say who will bless us? Does your say who blesses us with every spiritual blessing? What does it say? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing? See, God's already done it. This is what I, I want to point out to the point out to you from this passage. This is something that God has already done in the life of the believer, whether that be the person of Paul or whether that be you sitting in this church at Calvary Baptist Church in Corinth, Mississippi, in the county of Alcorn. Just, I just want to remind you that I lived in Alcorn County for about five years, and I know how to pronounce Alcorn County. Anytime I speak in Alcorn County, I just want to point that out. Alcorn. Not Alcorn. Okay? Alcorn County. Every spiritual blessing he has given to us. What he means by this, now, in our language, we have past tense, right? We have present tense. We have future tense. But in the, I teach Greek at Blue Mountain College. And Greek in the language that this passage is originally written in, one that Paul is writing in, Greek has two tenses for past tense. They have a past tense that is point in time, and then they have a past tense that, that kind of moves in time. It began in the past and continues into the future. What is being used right here is the one that is past tense but has future significance. Okay? I know that's hard to understand, so let me, let me explain it in a different way. It's like somebody writing in concrete. They did it in the past, but you can still see it in the present. And as long as that concrete's there, you're going to see it in the future, right? Uh, Billy Bob was here, 1958, right? I mean, you're going to see it. As long as the concrete's there, you're going to see it. Something that happened in the past but has continuing significance or consequences in the present and in the future. That is what is being used here in this passage. He has blessed us. He has blessed you with all spiritual blessings. And just so you can connect a few things from this passage to another passage, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Tetelestai, it is finished, he is using the same tense. He means it is finished for all time. It is something that I have completed, and it is completed now in the present, and it will be completed for all of the future. It is a completed act with ongoing significance for the present and into the future. So what has God blessed us with, right? That's what we want to know from this passage. There are some things that God has blessed us with from this passage and from other passages that we can find. You know, a lot of times people pray for God's love. But God's already poured out His love towards us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul wrote, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
He's already poured out that love. He's not going to love you less, and He's not going to love you more. God's love does not change, correct? God does not change, so His love does not change. It's not that He's going to love you more one day and less the next day. God's love does not change. He's already poured out His love, according to Romans chapter 5. In verse 5, many people pray for God's peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. My peace I give unto you and I leave to you. Peace was provided through Jesus Christ. Many people pray for joy, but joy has already been given. We pray for happiness, but happiness has already been given. We, have been, we pray for spiritual blessings, but these spiritual blessings have already been granted to us through our Father in heaven. Now look again at verse 3. It says, Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul uses that phrase four different times in the book of Ephesians. He uses that phrase, in the heavenly places in Christ four different times. And you know what he's trying to communicate? There is a there's a dual nature. There's a, a, a duality in this sense to man, to a Christian specifically. He's basically pointing out that these have been poured out, but they have been poured out to the believer who is in Christ. He's pointing out this dual citizenship or this dual nature that a believer has. That a person can be a citizen, a person who is living on the earth, but their citizenship is actually in heaven. And God views them as in heaven. It says again, look again, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now think about this. I am a, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. In a couple of months, I'm going to, to go to Belize to work with a church there. And uh, when I go to Belize, I don't cease being a citizen of the United States, do I? No, I'm a citizen of the United States just living or staying in a foreign country, visiting a foreign country for a period of time. For the believer who is in Jesus Christ, we have that same type of status. Our citizenship is in heaven. Even though we're living on this earth, we're not a citizen of this earth. We're not part of this world in that sense. We're in the world, but we should not be of the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that's what he is speaking about here in this passage. See, we see God's generosity in that he has blessed us with all of these spiritual blessings. He has given to us love, joy, peace, patience. He has given to us this dual citizenship of heaven. Now second, God provides his son to us as well. Look at verses 7 through 8. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, 
which he lavished on us. I mean, you really can't speak of God's generosity without speaking about redemption. I mean, when you think about God being good and gracious and generous to us, and especially this close to Christmas, we've got to think about redemption. Him sending his son to be the propitiation or the, the appeasing sacrifice for our sins. See, God sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, to die a horrible, horrible death, and to raise, to rise from the dead for your redemption. To put it into very simple terms, you were a slave to sin. You were a slave to this world. You were a servant of Satan. And what did God do? God sent his son to buy you back from your sin, from this world, from the domain of darkness, from being a servant of Satan to be a child of his. The Old Testament book of Hosea communicates that, right? Do you, do you remember the story of Hosea? Hosea is a prophet. He has a wife. Her name is Gomer. Gomer is has sold herself into prostitution. She is a she's a harlot. She has sold herself into prostitution. And what does Hosea do? He goes back to the slave market and he buys his wife as a slave so he can set her free again and bring her back into relationship with him. That's what God's done for us. That's the picture of redemption in our life that God is doing for us. It is him who has sent his son so he could buy us back so we could be redeemed. We are bought with a price, correct? And that price is the blood of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament speaks about the need for a blood sacrifice. When a person sinned, they would have to go to the temple complex and they would have to present a blood sacrifice and that priest would kill that, that animal and that through the shedding of blood they could have the remission of their sins. And the people were always, they were continually taking these animals to be sacrificed to the temple. The blood flowing from the temple. Blood was always flowing from the temple. There was always a pillar of smoke rising up to heaven from them burning the, the fat and the blood and the, the meat of these sacrifices because people were always sinning and they were always needing to shed blood and they were always offering these sacrifices. But we do know this, right, from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews says that the blood of bulls and goats cannot provide redemption. 
but the blood of Jesus Christ, the true Lamb of God. See, they made all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament, and moving up through the New Testament period, they made all of those sacrifices because it was looking forward to what Jesus Christ was going to do. We know that Jesus Christ, the, the, the redemption through Jesus Christ was always part of the plan of God. Now, let, let me just stop there for a moment. Because sometimes people don't think that's true. Sometimes people don't think that Jesus, the, the plan of Jesus was the number one plan. They think it was a secondary plan. They look at the Old Testament as being plan number one, but then that kind of failed, and then there was plan number two with the New Testament. But in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, you remember that God, God is speaking to the serpent. The serpent has just caused Adam and Eve, tempted them. They fell in the Garden of Eden. God is giving out all of these things that are going to happen. Man, you're going to do this. Woman, you're going to do this. And he begins to speak to the serpent. And he says, I am going to put enmity between your seed and the seed of woman. He will strike your head and you, the, your seed will strike his heel. And we know that's a reference to Jesus Christ where the seed of woman... Isaiah chapter 7, 14. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Right? And then Jesus comes by the seed of woman with no earthly father. A virgin birth who comes and he provides through his blood sacrifice the atonement that was needed. And as the writer of Hebrews says... There, for years, people were serving in the temple. The high priest was always serving. The priests were always serving. But our high priest gave his sacrifice once and for all and has sat down at the right hand of the Father forever finished to do his work. The priests in the Old Testament were always working. They were always making sacrifice. But our high priest... Through his blood sacrifice, made the sacrifice and sat down because his work was completed. And just to prove that it was completed, as I always like to say, the resurrection is the exclamation point on everything Jesus ever said and did. Jesus did a lot of things in the Gospels, and the resurrection proves that everything that he said and did were true and honest. The resurrection is the exclamation point. You see, when we look at this passage, we see God's generosity in that he has provided his son. Look again at verses 7 through 8. It says, in him, meaning Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. So Paul wrote in this passage, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. If you have not heard this this year, I just want to let you know this year, you can have forgiveness of your sins. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
doesn't matter how many times you've done it, when the last time you've done it, you can have forgiveness of your sins. Because Jesus Christ provided that through his blood sacrifice. See, when we look at the passage and we, we ask ourselves the question, why is God giving thanks? I mean, why is Paul giving thanks to God? He's giving thanks to God because he has redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sins are forgiven. It reminds me of the passage from Psalms. In Psalms, the psalmist wrote that God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Have you ever thought about that? The east and the west are infinitely separated from one another. If you start going around our globe, there is never a point when you're going to reach east. You can always go east. You can always go west. Is that true of north and south? No, it's not true. Because once you go north, eventually you make the turn, right? And you start going south. But east and west are infinitely separated from one another. And God said through the psalmist that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. So through the blood of Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. Corey ten Boot, well, let me just say this. There's an Old Testament prophet who says that God will take our sins and he will cast them into the sea. Corey ten Boom said that God has dropped our sins into the sea, to the deepest part of the sea, and then he's posted a sign that says, no fishing. <laughs> uh, because he has removed it. He's removed our sins completely. So when we look at this passage and we think about God's generosity, we, we must think about the forgiveness of sins that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. In that passage in Ephesians, God was not stingy with his grace. It says he lavished his grace upon us. Third, God provides his spirit. Look at verses 13 through 14. It says, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. The Father gave us every spiritual blessing. And he gave us his Holy Spirit to seal us into redemption. God knew that, that we would have doubts, wouldn't he? I mean, we do. We do have doubts. I've heard people sometimes say that I've never, I've never doubted. And I just remember what the great pastor Adrian Rogers said. You know, the Adrian Rogers, he, he spoke about this time of great doubting that he had in his life where he planted his face down onto the ground and he 
he said, I need to get this settled. I need, and he said, the Lord provided assurance. I don't think it's wrong to have doubts and questions. And I'll tell you why I don't think it's wrong. Because God can stand up to every question you'll ever ask. God can answer every question you can ask. God can answer it in a way that provides hope and assurance. There is never a time that you will be able to stump God. You just can't do it. He is far greater than any question that you will ever have. He's far, his goodness is far greater than you will ever be able to imagine that it's not. He, he is good. He is above our thoughts. He, he is higher than our thoughts. His ways are above our ways, correct? He knew that we would have doubts, so what did he do? He sent his Holy Spirit to seal us into redemption. I want you to think about that. To seal us into redemption. What Paul is using here is he's using a, an illustration from their day and time to prove a point. Now, a seal in the ancient Near East was, you've seen it in movies, maybe you even have one. I know sometimes people collect uh, stamps, wax stamps, where they will put wax over a letter and they will stamp it to make it look official. Sometimes you see that around Christmas time. Well, they actually did that in the ancient Near East, and it let you know two things. It wasn't tampered with, and it was authentic. So if you received some kind of letter or some kind of document and it had a seal on it, well, this seal proved that it was not tampered with and that it was authentic that the source came from where the seal says. Because it was actually against the law to forge seals and it was punishable by death. So in that sense, he is saying that he has sealed us into redemption. He has given to us something that lets us know that we are of Him, that we are part of Him, that we are authentic, and that we are secure. What is that person? Who is that person? It's the Holy Spirit. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is our, our seal. It is the earnest. It is the guarantee that God is going to do everything that God has said He is going to do. And so when we look at this passage and we think about God's generosity, we must see that God's generosity is shown to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. We like guarantees, right? If you, if you went to one of the banks here in, in Corinth, are you going to go to a bank that is not FDIC insured? You know, new bank pops up, uh, just pop up one day, and you're like, are y'all FDIC insured? Nope, not, we don't, okay, here's all my money, take it. No, you, you want to know, you want to see that it's FDIC insured. If you go and you deposit money, what, are you going to ask them for a slip? Have you ever had a deposit be lost? 
I had a deposit one time be lost. And luckily, I had my receipt, and I was able to go back to the bank and say, oh, look, I got this, this deposit slip, and they were able to locate the money and be able to put it into my account because I had that deposit slip. We want guarantees, and the Holy Spirit is our earnest guarantee that God is going to do everything that he says he's going to do. Now, let me ask you this. If you go to the bank and you ask money, ask for money, what is the bank going to require of you? They're going to require a signature. And if you're trying to buy something like a house, what are they going to ask for? Down payment. Because those two things, that signature, you sealing it, is your guarantee that you're going to fulfill this but you got to have something. you got to have some skin in the game, right? you gotta, you got to put something down so that they know you are serious about what you're going to do. And the Holy Spirit is our seal and our guarantee. He is the earnest deposit that God is going to fulfill what God is saying that He is going to do. He has granted to us the Holy Spirit. And so a person who has the Holy Spirit in their life, working in their life, this is a person who is uh, in the family of God, being adopted by the family of God, being adopted into the family of God. So the Lord gives to us His Holy Spirit. Let me just point something out to you real quick. In the Old Testament... The Holy Spirit came upon people and then left. Jesus came and he said, what? It's, it's better if I go, because if I go, I can send a helper. And that helper, who is the Holy Spirit, has remained with us. And as soon as a person is converted, as soon as a person is saved, the Holy Spirit is given to that person. And the Holy Spirit brings them into the family of God, gives them gifts to serve the church, and empowers them to serve. See, when we think about a person who is generous, when I ask you, who do you think about? Maybe you think about somebody in town. Maybe you think about somebody in your family. But who we really should think about automatically is God. Because God has been most generous to you. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, He has revealed Himself to you, He sent His Son, and He has given His Holy Spirit. And it's all for you. This first day of the year, I can think of no better way than to begin it than just to give thanks to God for what He's done in our life. For the redemption He's provided. For the Holy Spirit He's provided. Just a few moments, I'm going to say a prayer and we're going to have a time of invitation. But I want you to know, if you're here today and you're lost, You've never trusted Christ. You know you're not saved. I want you to know that you can be saved. You can be saved because God has provided 
redemption through his son, Jesus. And today, before this service is over, the offer of salvation is laid at the table before you. And all you got to do is believe and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. You can be saved today, and you can have forgiveness of sins. If you are a believer, I would encourage you, during the time of invitation, just thank the Lord for what he's done in your life and the spiritual blessings that he's provided for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for your word that communicates so clearly to us what you have done for us and what you are even doing now in our lives. Father, I pray that as we have looked at this passage, your Holy Spirit has impressed upon us maybe some areas in our life where, where you've been working but we haven't acknowledged your work. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would create a, a spirit of, of thankfulness within us. That just like Paul, we, we would cry out your praises. Cry out your praises through worship and to our family and to others. God, I pray for that person who, who may be lost here today. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would convict them and draw them to salvation before it's too late. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.